welcome everybody. Um, so, it's the end of an era, um, <laughs> but it was a very good, a very good season we've just been through. And as you guys know, this is our last service with Andrew and Michelle as they embark on what God's got them in their next part of their adventure. But uh, there's a bit of sadness, but to me it's mostly joy. Because yes, it sucks to have your friends move all the way across the world. But I just know that God's in this. And like, how can you not be happy and joyful about that Like when God's moving? So I think we can celebrate that. I'm, I might cry. I might cry. Don't cry um, <laughs> I, I, I caught it, guys. I caught the tear. I caught it. <laughs> the whole tear. But uh, <laughs> just one. But um, just I think from our side, I think everyone will agree with me. Just thank you for saying yes to God. I think you guys have uh, set the foundation here for something truly special. And I know um, there's a committed team of people behind that want to just see this thing grow and uh, just trust God with what he's doing here. So thank you guys for that. Um, but yeah, sorry, let me, I'm just doing welcoming. I, I hadn't planned that. But uh, um, Welcome to Trinity Central. It's such an exciting day. Uh, just a big thank you to Jared and Laney. They organized the concert. Um, yeah, just to raise some funds for Andrew and Michelle. And I think anyone who was there was like, wow, what a special evening. Like, I think it's just a picture of what, what Trinity Central can be. Just a community, doing things together, being family having events together and doing life together in the most real form. So thank you for that, guys. I think you really carry the flame that, that is Trinity Central. So we really appreciate it. Yeah. Um, before Rebecca shouts at me for forgetting the announcements. <laughs> so next week, Sunday, will be our Christmas service. Uh, that's the 24th. Then we're going to have on the seventh, uh, the, the next week Sunday is a week off. Everyone gets that one Sunday off, but only that Sunday. And then we're back again on the 7th of January to kick off 2024. Whoa. I'm still getting used to the Y2K bug. Like I haven't even, 2024, that's scary to say. <laughs> but uh, sorry, I'm, I'm being very long-winded in my announcement today. But welcome to Trinity Central. We're going to go into... Uh, a period of worship here. Um, just enjoy. Let's have an awesome day. Join us for a bra afterwards. We're going to have a good old family day. Love you all. Let's hit it. Trying to tease us about that. Actually crying. And I see Rebecca's got some tissues out there. Uh, I'm trying to figure out what God wants to say, what I want to say, what it's appropriate to say on the like our final day. Um, yeah, is it recording? I think it's recording. We'll see. <laughs> no, it should be recording. Lord, thank you for another Sunday, another moment to worship you. This is not about us, it's always about you, Lord. Think of the season as we celebrate Christmas, as we even singing these um, Christmas carols, that 
they were not necessarily designed as worship songs. They were designed as songs to reach out, as evangelistic songs that we could go and sing in the community to draw people into this story, this narrative of you entering into the world and transforming us and saving us, showing us the way to life. Lord, thank you for the fact that you've drawn us into your story. You've come in and changed our lives. You've changed lives across Trinity Central over the last two years in various different ways. You've picked people up from disillusionment or brokenness or just completely unsure of what it means and how it looks to follow you. What church is supposed to be, what it can look like, what it's supposed to look like. And I believe you've given new vision and new ideas and new ways of following you. New ways of living, new ways of being husbands and wives and fathers and mothers and just men and women of God. Thank you for the stories. Thank you for the restoration that's happened. Thank you for the commissioning that's happened. Thank you for every strange twist along the way. Thank you for who you are. Amen. I was reminded of the Robert Frost poem this morning. Two, word, two, two roads diverged in the wood. And I, I took the one less traveled by. And that has made all the difference. And it's this poem about a traveler in a wood. And there's two paths in front of him. And they both look good. And it's like, ah, oh, maybe I should take this one. Maybe I should take that one. And the reality sinks in that it's like, actually, if I take this one, I'll probably never get to come back and travel along the other one because that's how life goes. And it's as we journey down a path, we don't know the twists and the turns and what God has in store for us. And there might not be the chance to come back and, and go back down the other path. And I, I've been meditating on that and it's like, what would be my final word to you guys? And Asking God, what, what do you want to say to them, God? And honestly, that might sound strange, but I felt God say, no, what would you say to them? Everything in me just wants you to choose the way that leads to life. Think of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, and the whole thing is, I want you to find life and life to the full. I want you to understand what is available for you as men and women of God. What's available for your marriage? What He has placed inside of you? My prayer is that He would open up your eyes to the areas that you're actually blind to. What's holding you back? As a heart of a pastor, as a shepherd, I can sometimes see maybe what you're not seeing. Not out of criticism, but trying to just say, if you would just see this area where you keep going round and round and round and making the same mistake. But the problem is I can't just point it out because no one likes that. <laughs> and we actually have to pray that God would show you. And God would say, like, actually, do you realize how much I care about you? How much I love you? 
how much you don't need to go around that same challenge again and again and again. Actually, it's okay to admit, you know what, I don't have the answer here. Actually, this, this thing that I keep doing again and again, I need help. Maybe it's that you, you don't know how to make friends. Maybe it's that you don't know how to actually admit that you're wrong. Maybe it's that you always take the easy way out. I don't know what it is for each and every one of you. But there's one thing that God wants to just highlight. Not to show where you're broken, but to actually show you where He has more for you. And wants to help you take one step closer to just a way that leads to life in everything. I was sitting talking with somebody this week and we were talking about setting goals and how do you approach life? How do you, you chase after something and not get disappointed when you finally achieve it or not? Because there's something about setting a goal, but often when you, re, when you achieve that goal, there's such disappointment because it's like, okay, I've, I've achieved this goal, but now what? What's next? Is that it? I know that in our journey of going to Australia, we've had big things we've been trusting God for. And because there was so much uncertainty along the way where we had applied for visas and we're like, God, we believe this is what you have for us. It's like I, I heard a definition of faith was that what, what is faith? It's like it's a, it's a trust step into the unknown. It's like based on everything that we do know, we, we don't know, but we're acting in obedience. And we, we felt God saying, this is what, what He has for us. But we didn't quite know that this is it. So us applying for visas, which was quite a substantial amount of money. But then it came with an unknown time frame of just waiting. And God gave us this dream, or gave Michelle a dream of 200 days. And even that was, there was uncertainty around it. And we were sitting and waiting and saying, God, are you still there? The night before the 200 days, we just went to bed and saying like, God, there seems like there's nothing. You haven't shown us like a hint or breadcrumbs or clues or anything. We're sitting here in the dark. And the next morning we got the visas. And I was like, wow, that's amazing. You've shown us this clearly. It's incredible testimony. And the next day it was like, okay, now what? <laughs> it's like we'd, we'd achieved this thing, but we hadn't achieved anything. And it's because we were just one step closer. And there's something about us in the human nature where they actually say the satisfaction doesn't come in achieving the goal. It's about making progress towards your goal. It's actually as you grow, as you are maturing, as you're making progress towards what you feel called to, that you find that satisfaction. Perfect timing, Reich. <laughs> Reich and I have watched a show called One Piece. And Eva. <laughs> and Eva. Most of you probably haven't seen it, but it's a show based on like an anime series which has run for, I don't know, hundreds years. of episodes, years. Thousands of episodes. 
<laughs> now Netflix has made like a, a, a live action version of it, but it's about these pirates. And there's something inside of pirates that captivate the attention of... Yes. It's about a character named Monkey D. Luffy. And he is going to be the king of the pirates. And the whole series is based around the search for the One Piece. And the One Piece is real. Because that was the original king of the pirates' treasure that he had hidden. And he had said, actually, my treasure is out there waiting for you. Anybody that has the courage and the dream to actually throw off the restrictions of what like the oppressive government puts on you and go in search of freedom and in search of treasure and you can actually have an adventurous life that you will find everything you've been longing for. And there's something inside of each and every one of us that like resonates with that. Even though we know like pirates, like pirates are supposed to be criminals and they're bad, but there's something that captivates us because generally in a pirate story is it's a rebellion against an overly oppressive government, an overly tyrannical like, like way of trying to control life. And in this series of One Piece, there's, there's good and bad like pirates and there's good and bad Marine. marines. So that's the whole conversation that Riker and I have had because you can see there's some marines that are really bad and they're just oppressive and they search and they're after power. And then there's pirates that are actually these terrible people. And then there's some that are actually good. And there's this like, question of morality. But the whole thing revolves around this pursuit of the one piece. And what is the one piece for you? And then for Eva, we had this conversation about what, what did you actually want to achieve? And one of her dreams is... A gold medal in the Olympics. You can do it. Eva can do it. Yeah. I don't know, what's it, 2032 Brisbane Olympics, something like that. So Eva has a dream. But the whole idea is often athletes that have pursued this and pursued it and pursued it. And they achieve their dream and it actually destroys their life. Because once they've achieved the goal, gold, like nothing else satisfies. And there's nothing beyond that dream. Because it's, okay, it's a gold medal. You've achieved a lot. Back in the day, Madonna had a, a saying where every time she re achieved a number one hit single, she would love it and she would like say, great. And then the despair would sink in because it would be, can I do it again? Am I actually still good enough to do it again? And can I do it again? And can I do it again? Because that question mark is always there. Is am I worth it? Is what I've placed as the idol or the goal of my life worth it? And everything in me just wants to say to you, set the right goals in your life. Set a realistic, unattainable goal. Because <laughs> the reality is that what we actually want to live is a realistic, unattainable pursuit. That is what life is about. It is setting up something in our life that we can pursue for the rest of our life, for the rest of eternity, that we can achieve and we can't achieve alone. 
the whole thing is actually putting Christ as our pursuit, as becoming more like Him in our unique way. And by doing that, we will never fully achieve it. Yet by the power of the Spirit, we can actually become like Him. And we will never fully realize it until eternity. And then even, even then, we will have the whole of eternity pursuing God and becoming more and more and more like Him. Ronald Rollheiser says, In this life, all symphonies remain unfinished. Our deep longings are never really satisfied. What this means, among other things, is that we are not restful creatures who sometimes get restless, fulfilled people who sometimes are dissatisfied, serene people who sometimes experience disquiet. Rather, we are restless people who occasionally find rest, dissatisfied people who occasionally find fulfillment, and disquieted people who occasionally find serenity. We do not naturally default into rest, satisfaction, and quiet, but into their opposites. In this life, all symphonies remain unfinished. There's something in us that knows that that's true. That doesn't matter how good the symphony is in our life, it still remains unfinished at the end. As beautiful as life and as church as a marriage can be, there's something of like a, an unfinishedness at the end of it. Because we're waiting for this ultimate fulfillment in heaven. Tolkien wrote a story. I had to get Tolkien. <laughs> this wasn't even planned. But he, he wrote a story called Leaf by Niggle, where it's about an artist that was painting this tree. And he, he would spend so much time on one leaf because he, he's trying to paint this perfect tree. And he spent years and years crafting this perfect leaf. Because if he could do the perfect leaf, if he did that over and over and over again, he would have this perfect tree. And finally one day he finished this perfect leaf and he passed away. And there's this disappointment there. It's like, but the tree is left unfinished. And he gets up to heaven and he's going along and he looks out in the distance and there's his tree. He's like, that's my tree that I always imagined. And it's like, every almost like unfinished story, unfinished tree will be fulfilled in eternity. But our lives are like that tree, that leaf, where it's like we do the best we can, but it's still waiting for an ultimate eternal fulfillment. And the invitation I have for you is to set that realistic unattainable goal so that you can live a life of realistic unattainable pursuit chasing after the one piece hey go sit down <laughs> so I've been meditating on my probably my favorite book in the Bible is 1 John It's an older pastor that is writing to his congregation or people that he loves and he just wants them to understand who God is, what he is like, who Jesus is, how much he has loved them, how much that he's actually inviting them into the story. It's like he's overflowing with 
that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we, pro we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. He's saying, I want you to understand who Jesus is and who the Father is. And I want you to be part of this. And then he goes on and he says, like, man, the problem is that actually if we're living in sin, if we're living in brokenness, we don't understand this fellowship and it leads to destruction in our lives and it leads to destruction in our community. But actually if we walk in the light, we can experience this fellowship and we can understand what it means to live a life of love because we become more like Christ and then we learn to love those around us and that leads to a community that loves each other and care. And it's like this becomes this incredible devotion dance that we are invited into and he's saying this is what I want you to have but to do that we need to actually learn to love and one of my least favorite sayings recently is that like actually we need to learn to love ourselves before we can love others and yet that's my first point <laughs> you need to learn to love yourself because we need to learn to love ourselves, we need to learn to love Christ, and then we need to learn to love each other. But to learn to love yourself, you actually... Huh. It's like when you love somebody, you want the best for them. You really want the best for them. But that means you need to be honest. Because there's times where Instead of being loving, we avoid the hard conversations. We avoid like that tough love. When you're trying to raise up kids, sometimes you have to challenge them. Sometimes in marriage, you need to have hard conversations. Not because you don't love them, but because you do. Because you believe the best in them. Because you actually see what is locked up inside of you. And sometimes I think we need to have those hard conversations with ourselves to actually say, you know what, you were made for more. Stop giving yourself the easy out. Stop allowing yourself to believe the excuses of blaming somebody else, of blaming your past, of blaming what was done to you, of, of actually, no, you know what, Let's deal with what's in front of us. And say, you know what? Doesn't matter what's come before. I'm going to take responsibility for my actions going forward. Not out of harsh judgment or criticism. It's actually, it's because of the belief of what God has locked up inside of you. That we confront the brokenness. So we can deal with it, so we can grow and we can move on. I often have this conversation with people we, we're going to marry or pre-marriage or during marriage counseling where marriage becomes this incredibly safe environment 
because you are saying to the other person, saying, I love you no matter what. And I am committed to your benefit and to our benefit, no matter what. In sickness and in health, richer or poorer, doesn't matter what, I'm here. So because of that, it allows a safe environment where you can actually be honest with each other. And you say, you know what? I love you, but when you do that, it's not helpful. When you act in those ways, when you say that, it's probably not the best thing. And because you're putting two sinners in this close environment together, they actually rub each other the wrong way and thereby show each other our weaknesses. And when we see our weaknesses, we can actually learn to grow and learn to trust God to deal with that brokenness. So in one sense, yes, I want you to learn to love yourself, but not just cover over all the weaknesses, but actually learn to let God confront them so that we can actually grow. So that requires us being honest, being authentic, being real, being vulnerable. One thing I've hoped for for Trinity Centre is that it is a place where we could be honest. It's an honest expression of Christianity. There doesn't need to be any form of pretension, any place where it's like, oh, you can pretend to be good. We put on our Sunday best, but wholeheartedly living what Jesus has placed inside of us. Where it doesn't matter how you came in, you could be the most broken person in the world. You could be the most well put together person in the world. Where this could be a place where you would be loved and cared for and find Jesus. And I pray that that would always be the case. And if I look at Baron and Rebecca, they are the perfect people to carry that on. That's one, I don't think Rebecca will allow people to get away with pretending. <laughs> And Barry will always be the person that loves you, no matter what. The second point is loving Christ. That's where, like those Christmas carols, it's not something you can force on somebody. But it's like the start of 1 John, where it's like, man... I just want to testify of what God has done. John 1, 18, where it says, No one has ever seen God, but Jesus came to make Him known. He came to declare and show us what the Father is like. He came to represent God for us. And if we usher people into that story, and the more we hold Him up, and the more we declare just who Christ is, I believe people will fall in love with him. When talking about the two, two roads that diverge in the wood, I think there's the way of Christ and there's the way of Antichrist, where we, we're so worried about like finding the Antichrist and people get like all strange and spooky about it. But in 1 John, it actually just talks about like actually everybody that is anti the way of Christ is basically acting like the Antichrist. It's just anything that flows in the way of Jesus or anything that's not that. 
And generally, our default is to not that. Our default is to just operate out of the flesh, operate out of like our own interests. But the more we set up that unrealistic goal as becoming like Christ, the more we'll want to walk in His ways. The more we'll want to follow that path. Not that it's always easy. Generally, it's quite hard because it means forgiving when we don't want to and giving when we don't want to and loving when we don't want to. But the more I follow that or try to, the more I've seen my love for Christ growing, my appreciation for what He's done for me, the more I've experienced a little bit of what what Christ has experienced. Because unfortunately, to become like Jesus, we have to go through what He went through. To understand fully what it, what it means to be like Jesus, we, we go through similar experiences to Him. To connect it to the previous one, I think we, we quite easily understand Jesus as our Savior especially as our saviour from hell. It's, like a, it's kind of a, a story that we, we can understand fairly, fairly simply, where it's like, as a result of our actions, of our sin, we deserve punishment. When we die, we either go to heaven or hell. So we get Jesus to come and pay the price that we'll go to heaven. What I don't think we sometimes realise is that Jesus came to save us from ourselves, from our sin, where not only when we die does He want to be our Savior, but He actually wants to come and save us now from the brokenness that our actions lead to, from those default responses that we have. When we hurt, we want to lash out. We want to respond out of hurt. But God actually wants to come and save us from that element, where He wants to come and change our heart, that actually our response would be in His way. Our response would be a Christ-like response. I'm going to read from 1 John 4, verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us and we also ought to love one another, no one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and His love is perfected in us. last point is just that we would love each other. That if Jesus came and said, no one has ever seen God, but Jesus made Him known. Then it says, no one has ever seen God. But when we learn to love one another, when as a church we love one another, we put Christ on display. 
Some people won't ever come to know God the way that we have. But when we learn to truly love one another, they can actually see what God is like. I think of Friday night, just Gerard and Lainey and the, the show they put on of actually just wanting to love somebody else, of care for somebody else, of taking the interest and going the extra mile and using the gifts that they've got to love someone else, puts Christ on display. Because it's a way of saying, it's not about me, I can actually care for those around me. challenge though is that loving each other is messy because we're going to hurt each other and we're going to disappoint each other and there's going to be miscommunication and there's going to be sin that's just involved so to love one another takes eyes of faith because we have to see something in each other that might not be present at the moment we actually have to ask God to say what is locked up in each other what can I see in Warren or Tristan and I want to overlook the hurts overlook the pain overlook the mistakes so that I can draw out more of what God has placed inside of you it takes hearts of grace to actually forgive and overlook the pain, overlook the problems, overlook the hurt, overlook the, the words, the harsh words, overlook the actions that have been done that seem like they are crafted to hurt us. But actually when we've got that goal of being like Christ, it becomes easier and easier for us to become like Christ and to forgive and to love and to care. And then it takes hands of service or hands of love to serve those around us. To actually use the gifts that we've been given. To use the, the resources that God has placed inside of our hearts and inside of our hands to serve the community around us. chatting about this and just dreaming about setting up a goal that is realistic but unattainable meditating on Psalm 27 verse 4 one thing have I asked of the Lord that will I seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. And David is praying that it's, you can ask for anything and everything, but the, the overflowing like, heartbeat of David was, God, that I would be able to be in Your presence all the days of my life. And that doesn't mean he wants to just sit in church all the days of his life. 
but there's something of my desire is that I would be with you, God. When I'm in the workplace, when I'm at home, when I'm with my friends, that actually I want to take your presence with me. That if this is the goal of your life, that in my unique way, that in Pierre's unique way, that in Rian's unique way, you want to be so like Christ that it doesn't matter what the ups and downs of life come. It's like whatever you achieve or don't achieve, the goals that you achieve or don't, if your ultimate goal is becoming more like Jesus, there will always be a radical pursuit that you can go after. And there will be a progression that you'll become more and more and more like Him as you get to know Him, as you become more like Him, as you learn to live more like Him. There's an ongoing pursuit and that pursuit actually leads to our own like satisfaction and joy. And it becomes part of that symphony where we are invited into this dance with God. But it's an unending symphony that is going to go on and be played on for eternity. That's what we get invited into. That's a way that leads to life. It leads to more and more satisfaction. Because there's no goal that you're going to achieve and then be completely left flat. It's not a gold medal that you'll achieve and then it's like, okay, what next? It's not a career that it's like, ah, oh, if I can just build this company, then you achieve that, then what? It's just a company. If you set this goal of qualification, of education, of whatever it is, if it's just, if I get married, then I'll be happy. If I just have a kid, then I'll be happy. If my kids are just successful, then I'll be happy. It's, all of those things will disappoint. But if we have an eternal goal, then all of those things form their rightful place in amongst that. Because a career goal is good and kids is good and marriage is good, but it all forms its rightful place in subjection to God. And then they don't become idols that break us. They actually become blocks that form a life that's worth living. It becomes a monument to God's glory because you put it all under Him. Lord, uh, I want to thank you for these two and a bit years where we have journeyed with you, where we have pursued you, where we have experienced you. Thank you for each and every story here. Thank you for each and every Sunday, each and every Wednesday. Thank you for each and every dinner that we've had, coffee that we've had. Thank you for meals and brides and marriage counseling and weddings and kids that are on the way.
Lord, I pray that you'd continue to show us where we can grow, where we can pursue you, where we can take the path less traveled and find the way that leads to life. Lord, right now, I ask that you would show each person how they can set up and put in place a realistic, unattainable goal in their life. That you'll find their way of putting Christ at the center of their life, putting the Trinity at the center of their life and letting everything revolve around that. Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Where we get invited in to put you on display in our lives. Where we fall in love with you and just immerse ourselves in your story daily and weekly. And we get to know you more and more. We get to live like you. We get to be empowered by your Spirit to achieve something that is completely unattainable to become like you. Yet the radical nature of the gospel is that we get invited into this. And the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is the same power that comes and lives inside of us to actually achieve this. To overcome our brokenness. To overcome that sin. To overcome that which has been holding us back. To become more like you. We're going to take communion just now. Eva is saying, good job, and Riker's giving me a punch in the stomach. I think I've done okay. <laughs> he hasn't fallen asleep. Father God, thank you for Trinity Central. Thank you for each and every person here, each and every person that's been in and through this, this little church and this expression of church, I pray that you would bless this church. Unless the Lord builds the house, the laborers labor in vain. Lord, we could not have done anything that has happened yet. We could not have could not have made the transformation or brought people in, planned the, the people that would be part of this years before of the privilege of getting to do some weddings here. From strangers to family. Lord, thank you for your sacrifice, your body, your blood that leads us to life eternally. And leads us to life in our marriages and in our friendships and in our day to day. Thank you for your body. Thank you for your blood. Thank you for your spirit that empowers us and strengthens us. Thank you that we can do communion, we can take communion and remind ourselves of this, of who you are. Amen.